Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On, the, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the churches in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Thank you. Very cool. Thank you, Shania. Good morning, everyone. I'm Etienne, and uh, yes, welcome to everyone here, visitors, especially you, Zoom folks. Great to have you with us today again as well. Uh, you, if you are visiting today, you're stepping into uh, well, part two of the same message, but before that, you're also stepping into sort of a, a sermon series on, on a, a book in the Bible, uh, shortly after the life of Jesus book of Acts, it's called. So, so let me just bring you into the picture of what we said last week, and then we can sort of just build on it this week to finish it off, essentially. You, you, you heard this morning of, of a, a guy named Stephen that Chanae read to us just about. He is getting executed for something that he said. What did he say? Well, he said essentially this. This is what we said last week. We said uh, what Stephen told a bunch of highly zealous religious Jewish people was this. He said, there is a universal judge who is God, who is going to judge your life, my life, according to some laws, according to some rules that's going to determine whether you are good enough at the end of your life. We said that's a good thing. We should all be glad that there is such a judge in some way because justice can be delivered to those who will never have it otherwise, right? We should also not be really glad about it because it's also not really good for any of us because none of us can ever live up to the standards that that judge has set. However, that judge has made a way for us, for the likes of you, for the likes of me, by sending his own son, a figure called the Righteous One in the book of Acts, who died on the cross, who was raised to life so that whoever believes in him will one day be assured when you stand in the place of judgment uh, that you will be found not guilty. You're good. You're good enough. Not because you're good enough, but because he was good enough and because you believe in him and because you are in him. That's the message. The, the message of, of this universal courtroom and universal justice and and being found on the right side of that justice. That's sort of the stuff we covered last week, and we said a lot more, and, you know, I think we, yeah, we, we certainly explored it as far as we could last week. And then we finished off that message about here. I said to you, and I asked you the question, well, why would you, why would you want to have in on this? Other than one day, when you face ultimate judgment. You know, what about now? What about the difference that this righteous one will make in my life now? 
Not then, now. How will I be different? How will I be a different person uh, in life, here, now? That's what we're going to cover today. We're going to look at uh, uh, the, the guy who... Well, there's sort of two figures that we're going to look at. Number one is we're going to look at this guy called Stephen. What do we see about him in this story? What does he display to you and me about how his life was changed because he accepted this righteous one into his life? This is what he is ultimately getting executed for here because the religious leaders didn't like that message at all. They said, no, you've got to live up to the standards of God yourself, all right? This is what they disagreed on and they were that passionate. They, they're at the point of executing him. What do we see in his life? Well, here's what I think. We see two things in his life that's relevant to you and to me. Here's the first thing. No earthly court can undo me. That's a cryptic statement that I need to explain for it to make sense. Now, there's something, there's something fascinating going on in this story. I don't know if you, if you picked up on it. Here's a guy, Stephen is his name. He's in this earthly court of the Sanhedrin. He, he is about, and I think he knows it, he is about in this court to be executed. He's going to lose his life. He is about to be effectively murdered. I'd like you to think, for me, if you were God, and if you don't believe in God, suppose for me for a minute here that he does, and this person, Stephen, is, is, is one of your own, one of your children, one who believes in you, and it's your job to help him through this situation. Situation that he's staring death in the eye. A cruel death. What would you do for him to help him? What would you give him? What would, you, what would you give this person if you are God on high, and I know that's a presumptuous thing to think on, to, to help him through this impeccable situation that he is facing? If you want to think about it from, uh, if you go to Pathway here, you know that we, we, we love to pray for people. And one of the people we have in our midst is, 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 is a lady called Dinny who has a text message chain and people all the time would say when they face hard situations, they'd send a text to Dinny, could you please ask the people who are part of this chain to pray for me? If you could send Dinny a text, if you're Stephen in that situation, what would you send her? What would you want God to do for you to help you through this incredible, difficult situation? I mean, that's something worth thinking about, isn't it? What do we need when we sit in difficult and confronting situations in life? What did God give Stephen? I put it to you, he, he gave him something, something incredible. Here's what, here's what, it, here's, here's what Stephen says he, he got from God in that moment, at that point. He looked up to heaven, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. <laughs> it's wow. You know why it's wow? Because what he sees in that sense 
And, and, and look, this is visible only to him. This is something that God shows him that he's, he's able to conceive of it. Do you know what he sees? He sees the universal courtroom. That's what he sees. He sees Jesus, the righteous one, standing in the universal courtroom before the universal judge, the one to whom we all must give account to, and he says to the judge, Stephen is good. Stephen is in me. I have died for Stephen. Stephen will be with us. Stephen is acquitted. He is free. And get the the, the deep poetic nature of this. Here on earth he's faced with an earthly courtroom in which he is condemned. But in the heavenly courtroom he's free. He's righteous. He's just. On earth he is hated. In heaven he is loved. Beyond what is right in front of him on earth he can see through it, above it, beyond it, to what ultimately matters. And you know what difference that makes to him on earth as he's confronting with, confronted with the most devastating thing of his life? He can look it square in the eye and he can say, it does not matter. I will not be undone by this. Not even murder. And this execution that I'm going to face. Because I know. And I can see. And it is clear before me where my eternity lies. Where I'm acquitted. Where I'm free. Where I'm accepted. And because I can see it. Here in the heat of the moment. I can face it. (laughs) What what are you going to do to me? When I know what he has done for me. You need that in your life. When you face the earthly courts of this life. You do, right? Maybe not at the point of getting murdered. But you wrestle with the Words that your ex said about you, says about you, your children who are rejecting you, your boss, your colleagues, what your friends say about you on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. The opinions and the verdicts of the others on how you look, how you present. These are all courts in which usually you stand condemned. Right? And if it's not the court of other people, it's the court of your own mind. How you feel about yourself the condemnation and judgment that you rain down on yourself, I failed as a parent. I'm failing as a child. I'm failing as a Christian. I'm failing as this. I'm failing as that. It's a court. It's a court in which you 
Instead, condemn either by yourself or by others again and again and again and again. And you know, at, 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 its, at its fullness, it becomes such a life-sucking, stifling thing that it would entirely undo you. Can I put it to you, brother, sister, friend, even if you do not believe in God, can, can, can you see perhaps this morning that what you need is to see what Stephen saw? I know... <laughs> I see, it is firm in me that I stand acquitted in that court, I am free. Because that is the reality there, I can live with it here. Nothing you say, nothing even I say to myself as a person who believes in Jesus and that I'm in the righteous one can undo me. This is how you get through life. This is how God's children get through life and triumphs over absolutely everything that it throws at them. It's not that you are perfect in the court of life, but Jesus is perfect and you are in him. Right? This is why this is, this is, why this is an outstanding thing that the Christian faith gives us, that the righteous one gives you. You are set free in the court. And notice, interesting as well, just in this text, this is a bit of a Bible I wouldn't say a Bible trivia thing, but it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of cool. Usually when Jesus, and sorry if you're new to church and faith, this might be all a bit, a bit confusing. Jesus is often portrayed in heaven as sitting at the right hand of God. This is one of the rare instances in which he's portrayed as standing. You know why he's standing? Because he's busy. Because he's fighting for you. Because <laughs> he's interceding for you. Ongoing, continual, the more you wrestle with the earthly courts, the more he fends for you, the more you need to see it. Now the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God for those whom have accepted him, who believe in him. So that's the first thing, that's the first reason why, you know, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference to life on earth and how you experience life on earth if this is true for you, Right? It's not about just then and there. It's about here and now. Number two, difference. It's somewhat related, but it's a little, it's a little different. Not only will you lose your fear for any earthly court, you will respond to every earthly court with grace. It's a bit of a clunky statement. You can sort of almost just focus on the word grace there. Right? Look at what Stephen said in verse 59 there. While they were stoning him, this is hurling giant rocks and boulders. This is sort of the way of the aggressive, bloody execution of 2,000 years ago. It still happens in the Middle East today. They would throw this at the person who is getting executed until they die. While this is happening... <laughs> He prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That is a remarkable statement for a man being murdered. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Can you say that of the people who bear you harm? 
Can you say that of those, let alone those who hate you, but those who you don't like? Even at that level, we struggle with it. If you accept the righteous one, if Jesus is in your life, you'll be able to say that. Or at least you'll be growing towards that point where more and more confidently you'll be able to look at all that is wrong in your life and all who do you wrong in your life and say, Lord, do not hold this against them. Because I know that I am right in the heavenly court and because the heavenly court will mete out justice one day, I do not need to be vindictive. I do not need to hold on in anger and malice and bitterness. I do not need to secure a sense of justice for myself on this earth. I can let it go. It does not need me. Do you see the freedom in that? Do you see the beauty in that? You know, I've had a friend who, who many years ago and days gone by walked through a, a, a marriage breakup, a divorce, and, and she was wronged, no doubt. But she became so consumed with bitterness and you could not speak to her on any occasion without that bitterness just bubbling forth to the point where the script of what went wrong in their marriage was dictated to you word for word. This is what happened. And if anyone says anything other than this, I will cut them off as friends because they're against me. That's the sort of life we start to live. That's the sort of attachment we get when, when things go wrong, when others wrong us. We become so set and bent upon restoring our sense of ego, restoring our sense of pride, restoring our sense of self, because, yes, it feels like it is down to us. Not so when the righteous one is representing you. You have no need to vindicate yourself. You have no need to hold on to bitterness. You have no need to hold on to anger. You have no need to hold on to any of those malicious things. You can hold on to one thing and one thing only, and that is grace. Grace. Forgiveness. And I know it's a lot of conversation about what that looks like and what it does not look like, but the bottom line is you yourself do not have to be consumed with malice, with anger, with bitterness. You can be like Stephen. You can say the same thing that he did against those who hated him. This is what the righteous one will do with you here, now, in this life. Okay, there's, there's, kind, of, there's kind of one more thing I can, I can lift out here, but I... Um, oh, yeah... Let's do it. Okay. Are you okay? Can, I don't know. What's your, are, you, are, you, are you falling asleep? Are you, be honest and say, nah, man, we've had enough. Wrap her up. <laughs> the kids are doing well too. Like, usually by now, I'm going to eyeball the kids, you know. It looks pretty bad. Um, okay, we'll do this. This is not critical for today's message, but you know what? It's kind of interesting. If you know your biblical story, 
the writer drops little hints here of a, a, another actor. His name is Saul. Do you capture that? They lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then the story kind of ends there. And Saul approved of their killing him. One of these religious zealots stand there. His name is Saul. Okay? Now, he, why this is relevant is you might ask the question, hey, I don't know, man, like being as gracious as Stephen is here and, and saying, I want to give forgiveness and non-hatred and all that, non-bitterness to those who did me harm, what, why would I do that, you know? Um, why? It's not right. But others can do stuff like this to you, but there's no forgiveness, there's no... Yeah, oh, sorry, there's no justice, there's no, uh, you know, no revenge, so to speak, which there will be, and I've already answered that to an extent. But still, why? Why does God let a guy like Stephen go through this? What sort of a God would do that? And why does he let me go through that? Why does he require me to be gracious to other people who harmed me and wronged me? Why? What good can come of it? Surely this cannot be a good thing. It can it can. Here's one way in which it can be a good thing. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, you're here today, I, I think I can say fairly safely, to a very large extent, because of that man, Saul. <laughs> He's the reason why you're here. <laughs> He's a guy who fought for you and for me in the biblical story to be accepted into God's church. He's the guy who came and fetched us. Now, we're going to look at his life story in the next few weeks to come. But hang on a second. He's the guy who chucked the stones at Stephen. What happened? What happened to him? How does a guy go from here to there? How did, he, how did he say the righteous one is the righteous one and brought the righteous one to the rest of us from where he was today? I put it to you, and it's a little bit speculative, but I think it's worth pondering. I think what he saw that day in Stephen made a huge impact on him. I think the grace that he saw, the non-malice, the non-vindictiveness had a huge impact on Saul. I think the people in your life will be the recipients of the grace, the non-bitterness, the non-malice, the non-slander that you are going to show them. It's going to make a huge impact on them. It will be what changes the world to a great extent. And I think that's why God, it's how God works. <laughs> He himself worked through showing grace, forgiveness. How would it be any otherwise for his children? So that's the sort of thing that's interesting there. You need to know the next few chapters of the story to get all of it that you can, and we will in the next few weeks in this series. This is Stephen. This is, this is the good stuff. This is what the righteous one will make real in you and grow in you and seek to accomplish in you, to make you a person that can endure any earthly court without fear. In fact, to endure it with grace. It will change your life. You will never be the same. And I put it to you, our world will never be the same either. What about the flip side? 
But if I do not accept the righteous one, this is where we'll finish off today this message. Rejection of the righteous one. I think rejection of the righteous one will leave you to some degree wrestling always with any of, any of these statements in your life. You, you'll forever say to yourself to some degree, you know, I, I, I feel, if I'm dead honest with myself, deeply insecure. I feel driven by, by some strange sense of guilt or fear. And at worst, you become, you become a person cruel. Perhaps cruel to others. Certainly cruel to yourself. Now, that's the language that come out of these Jewish leaders in this story, isn't it? Look at the... Now, I know this is to the max, you know. This is to the max. I'm not saying you will be like them. Exactly. The seeds of their behavior will be true in all of us. Look at the insecurity. Yelling at the top of their voices. They lost themselves. They were utterly out of control of themselves. Possessed, you might say. Rushing at him. Right? Uh, they began to stone him. This is, this is language of, of the opposite of what we had up there. This is not confidence. This is insecurity. This is fear. It's cruelty, certainly. This is what we see at the max in these Jewish leaders. I think this is what we see displayed in, 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 in us. Always if we, if we live outside of the righteous one. And you know what the scary thing is? If I can just apply this to us. You know, religious people become like this. These Jewish people are religious people. People who think they are Christians become like this. How many stories are there of parents who are church-going parents who have raised their children in a Christianity that said to them, you must obey the law and the expectations that God has of you. And when you fail, you should feel guilty. And we are going to punish you. You know what that breeds in that child? Insecurity. Always afraid. Always afraid of whether I've failed mum, dad, God. Always guilty. That's cruel. Children have been treated cruelly. There's no introduction to the righteous one. <laughs> the righteous one who, who died for the forgiveness of your sins. The job of a parent is to introduce their children to see what Stephen saw. That's your job, right? You see? Insecurity, <laughs> guilt, fear, cruelty, it, 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 can, it can be the result within the church, within those of the religious mold, if you like. Religious people, religious people aren't exempt from this. 
You see how unique this concept of the righteous one standing at the right hand of God for you is? There's no other worldview, there's no other faith that gives you that. It is the gospel that gives you that, and only the gospel, that promises this freedom. Irreligious people will become like this too. Instead of a a god or a deity that you place up, we place something else in there, right? Place money at the centre of your life. Money is the most important thing to you. Wealth. Put it to you that the most materially wealthy and successful people are often the ones who are the most insecure people on the planet of the earth on the planet Earth. Always feeling afraid. You don't have enough money. Always feeling somewhat guilty when you see those in need. Potentially cruel. You become cruel to those around you in your pursuit of it, in your insecurities over it. You don't rush at them throwing stones, but you nevertheless deprive them of the grace and love and care that God has for them. (laughs) You see, a journey outside of the righteous one is going to be a journey that invariably is going to see us grapple with this in our lives. We're We're going to probably become more insecure. We're probably going to be pursuing something out of fear, out of guilt, and we probably, at the very least to ourselves, we're going to become cruel. The righteous one promises you the exact opposite. Confidence and grace. (laughs) So let me ask you, at the end of it, who do you want to be? Where are you? Who do you want to be? You know, there'd be some of us here today for whom all of this God stuff is entirely new, entirely foreign, entirely unknown. Can I simply encourage you to just keep thinking about God, keep thinking about your life, keep thinking about the concepts of security and confidence, grace for yourself, for others. This is who God is. This is what God wants to give you. And, and explore more to the, to the Christians in your life. Would you talk to them about this? Talk to myself after the service if you, if you want to talk more. To the Christians in this room, you know, we're on a journey. None of us live life as confident as we want to. None of us display grace as well as we hope to. But Stephen had a secret secret that lives in you. <laughs> How can you do it? I was full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he had a power at work in him that was way beyond what he could muster in himself. You will not have the confidence. You will not be able to show the grace unless God himself fills you, enables you, empowers you. And so when you struggle, ask for that. Ask for it. God, give me what I need to have the confidence I need to overcome my insecurity. And he will provide it. Not just once, not just twice, anew, every day. Because the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. 
Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing again. Jesus, thank you that you are a standing Lord in the universal courtroom, fighting and fending for us every single day, every single hour. We admit we don't see it as clearly as we need to to help us deal with what goes on in our lives. We feel so insecure. We feel so afraid. We wrestle with such guilt and such uncertainty. And it takes on great complexity in many of our lives. But Lord, whatever the practical thing should be to resolve it, I pray that in the midst of it, you will fill us with your Spirit. Let us see. Let us see what Stephen saw. Let it make a difference in us as it made in him. And we have confidence, not in ourselves, but in what we see in you and knowing that we are in you. Father, I pray for those for whom this is an entirely new and foreign thing. I pray for the fears that they have in coming to you. Would your grace lead them perhaps to discover the most liberating, most filling and freeing thing that is on offer in this world. The righteous one given for us. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Reggie and Simon. We are not able, but God is. Will you join with me and declare it together?